Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Isn't the Lord so good to us? Hey guys, welcome to One Big Sunday here at Redemption. Hey, before you grab a seat, since we have three services and you're probably getting to see like, oh, this is what the church looks like. Do me a big favor. Before you grab a seat, I want you to turn and shake your neighbor's hand, get to know them, ask them, hey, what service do you go to? All right, that's too much fun. We're in church. Sit down. Be quiet. Uh, I'm just messing with you guys. Hey, it is so great for us to be here today. Hey, well, if you are new to Redemption, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor. And today we're going to do something just a little bit different. My, my OCD is going to freak out if this thing's on the whole time. Can we go ahead and get that changed over? I'm going to be looking behind me like, oh my gosh, no. Um, <laughs> hey, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, Today, we wanted to bring the whole church together as one big family for one big service, so that way we could take up one big offering to be able to be the church to those who are in our church. And so it's going to be different. I I really want to just be your pastor today. If y'all allow me to do that, I really today just kind of want to be a a pastor. I was originally going to teach Mark. As you know, we've been in a sermon series uh, through the gospel of Mark called The Simple Gospel where we're taking time walking verse by verse, line by line through the book of Mark, learning to see who Jesus is so that way we can live our lives for Jesus. But instead, today we're going to put that on pause and we're going to jump right back into Mark next week. But today I really wanted to talk about how to love our church. You know, Thursday morning I woke up and I was actually sleeping on the couch. Not because me and Ashley are in trouble or anything. Um, (laughs) I fell asleep watching a movie, and if you know me, I fall asleep in every movie I watch, and I fell asleep, and she tried to wake me up, but I was out, and so she was like, well, I'm going to bed anyway, and so she went up, and she went to sleep, and I woke up on the couch uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning, and and as I woke up, I was like, I can't believe I slept on the couch last night, and then I started checking my phone, and I started scrolling through, and I noticed that there was messages and texts, and... Um, Facebook posts from people in our church, uh, first asking, you know, if we're okay, and then asking, you know, if there's anything that they could do. And there was members in our church, I saw that they, they were posting that their homes were flooded. Uh, one woman in my community group, she got almost three foot of water in her home. She had to be evacuated in the, in the, in the, in the early morning. Uh, she woke up to a flood alert on her phone, she, and she knocked her phone off the, the side of the bed. She reached down, and she actually got electrocuted because there's already six inches of water in her home. And so she was like, I got to get my kids out of here. And she was rescued. And that's a woman who's in my community group. And I know that there are others in our groups and in our serve teams and our families who 
I've been affected. Some of you have been affected. 12 families at the last time I counted. Um, some that we're still learning about today who call Redemption Home have been impacted and affected due to Tropical Storm Imelda. I know personally I was not prepared for this, um, hence me sleeping on the couch. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't prepared for it. And many of us, we were here for Harvey. In uh, Harvey, I was at my grandparents' house. We got three foot of water. I had to be rescued by a boat. Me and Ashley had our nine-month-old baby at the time. We're in a boat going down the road because there's like six foot of water in the streets that we were staying at. And, um, and, and I was prepared for that. Um, but I wasn't necessarily prepared for this. And as I check, started checking my phone and started reading through the messages, man, I, I, just, I just got so concerned and I began to have so much compassion for the people who are in our church. And, um, and it just reminded me how much I love our church. Because in that moment, I wasn't really thinking about, I wasn't thinking about a building. I was thinking about our people. You know, when we talk about, I love my church, you should come to my church, my church is awesome, my church is amazing. You know, when we invite people to church, what we typically think of is the worship is so great, okay? Worship is great. We think about the kids' ministry is incredible, and our kids' ministry is incredible. We think about how, you know, we have this warehouse, and it's so amazing that God's blessed us with this new building, and you know what? It is pretty great. We think about being downtown and how we have our centrally located where people from all across Southeast Texas in 20 minutes can make it to church. And so it's easy for people from Orange or people from Lumberton or people from Vider or from Nederland or from Port Arthur or even from Beaumont to be able to make it to church anywhere in Southeast Texas here in about 20 minutes. I love it because it's it's so centrally located, and we invite our friends, and we say, I love our church, or we invite our family members, say, I love my church, but you know what? As I was scrolling through Facebook and reading through the texts, when I was thinking about our church, I wasn't thinking about the lights. I wasn't thinking about the rugs in the children's department. I wasn't thinking about what curriculum we use. When I was praying for our church, I wasn't thinking about the haze machine. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about, did we get the parking signs picked up from last week? See, normally what happens is we think church, we think that's a place we go. But the Bible presents a totally different picture. That church is not a place we go, church is a people that we belong to. And so what I want to do today is I just want to be a pastor and I want to give you 10 ways that you can love your church. Okay, and so if you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is going to write about loving the church. Now, why would I teach over loving the church? I mean, isn't there a precedent that you know, we should preach a sermon over storms? Isn't there a precedent that we should preach a sermon about how when life is hard, God is with you? Yes, all those things are true. Isn't there a precedent that we, we preach a sermon covering tribulations? Okay, yes, all those things are true. But today, I just really felt like people needed encouragement. That today, we just need to be encouraged of why we do this. 
of why this church exists, of why you are here in this room, of why you call Redemption home. And I just really believe that this is a moment, this is a mile marker for our church to where there is a confidence, there is an assurance, there is an awareness of the body, there is a call to action on us as believers, and that in our church, there would be an excitement about what God is doing in our lives. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you some ways that we can love our church because there are people in our church who need our love. And so let me read to you Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in nine, working our way all the way through verse 13. And that's right. I have 10 points for four verses. There you go. I get paid by the point and I'm looking for a raise. Starting in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another by showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. I love my church. I've loved the church since I became a Christian. You know, actually, I got saved in a church. Okay, I grew up in a church, but that's not when I got saved. I grew up going to church. My grandparents, they, they were very active. Basically, anytime the doors were open, we were at church. We went to church Sunday morning. We went to church Sunday evening. We went to church Wednesday nights. We went to a prayer meeting on Friday. And Lord, help us if revival ever broke out, because I was never going home. <laughs> I was raised in the church. I even went to a Christian school. And so when I wasn't at church, I was at school. And guess where my school was? At church. <laughs> but somewhere along the lines of 15, 16 years old, I realized that I didn't believe it, that I was raised in the church, but I didn't really love the church. And so for the next several years, I went and did my own thing, made my own way, lived life however I wanted to live. Nobody could tell me what I could do. And then about the age of 19, 20 years old, I, I met a cute girl. Her name's Ashley. She's my wife now, and she invited me to church, and I said, no way, I don't want to go. <laughs> but she was cute, so I decided I'd go with her, and that Sunday, we went to church, and I was just thinking I would get her off my back, and we'd continue to go and do life the way that we wanted to do, and that Sunday, I don't know what it was, the preaching, the worship, the people, the spirit, probably all of the above. But the Lord moved in my heart that day. And the pastor, he said, if anybody would like to become a Christian, come down front to receive prayer. And I just feel, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm getting up and going down to the front. <laughs> and I went forward and I received prayer for salvation. And the church really, it really changed my life. Now, there was a couple of years where I, I didn't really love the church. I mean, I would go, but I didn't necessarily love it. But then one day, as I'm sitting there in church, listening to the sermon, worshiping, I realized I don't know anybody here. And it's not their fault, it's my fault. That I would go to church and I would sit in the same little seat and I would talk to the same little group of people, but I never went out of my way to love others. I expected others to love me, 
but I didn't go out my way to love others. I expected others to pour my coffee, but I didn't serve anywhere. I expected others to open the door as I came into church, but I never opened the door for anybody else. I expected others to be very generous towards the church because I liked the nice comfy seat that I had, but I never gave a dime to that church. And it was sitting there that one day I realized, man, the church has done so much for me that whenever me and Ashley were getting married, guess who was that gave us the counseling? It was the church. Whenever me and Ashley were married, guess who it was that was there at our wedding? It was the church. Before we even became a Christian, whenever I was arrested and sitting in jail, guess who came and visited me? It was the pastor of a church that I didn't even really belong in. Whenever me and Ashley would have marriage fights, it was the church who was there for me. Whenever I needed to learn how to be a man, it was the, the men of the church who rallied behind me. Whenever we were struggling financially, we'd show up and there would be groceries on our doorstep and that was given to us by the people in the church. Whenever I needed a job, it was somebody in the church who hooked me up and got me a job. Whenever me and Ashley moved to Houston, it was somebody in the church who helped us find an apartment. Whenever, I needed, whenever we needed anything, it was the people in the church. Whenever I was going through depression, it was my community group in the church who was able to walk with me through it. And I just think about every little piece of my life, any big moment, anything where I was struggling, any time there was something difficult, any time, whether good or bad, whether things were going right or things were going wrong, any time I was in need or any time that I had something in my life, you know what? The church was always there for me. And I really do love my church. I love this church. People ask me, they say, Byron, let's be honest as pastors. Just you and me, nobody else in the room. Okay, now there's all you in the room, so now y'all know what pastors talk about. But they asked me, said, if you weren't the pastor of your church, would you go to your church? You know, a lot of people, they wouldn't be able to answer that. But I can wholeheartedly say yes. That if I was not the pastor of this church, I would still go to this church. That if I was not the pastor of this church, you would see me in the parking lot holding the pop sign. Welcome to church, because I love this church. I would be a greeter in the lobby. I would be shaking every person's hands as they walked through the doors. I would, me and my wife, we would be serving in the nursery because we love our church. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, then I would definitely still be a part of this church. Because while redemption's not perfect, it is my church. Redemption is not perfect. We're not a perfect church. We're going to let you down. We're going to fail. Okay, because we're people. The church is not the programs. The church is not the organization. The church is the people. And as long as there are people in our church, guess what? We will never be perfect. <laughs> but we still need to love the people. So what I want to do today is I want to give you 10 ways that you can love your church. The first way Paul tells us is this, is that we're to love our church genuinely. He says it here, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. When you love your church, it is to be a genuine love, not a half-hearted love, not a false love, not a putting on an appearance, walking through the doors, pretending everything's okay love. It is to be a genuine love. 
that we love other people in our church genuinely. See, the idea here is that there would be no hypocrisy in our love, that we as a church would not be people who say one thing and then do something else. That's why he says here that you would abhor evil and you would hold fast to what is good, that we would not say one thing and do another thing, but that we would be true, we would be honest, we would be authentic, and would be genuine when it comes to our love. When you look at people, do you genuinely love them or do you say, oh yeah, I love them? There's a difference. See, especially in seasons like this when there's some catastrophe or some natural disaster or maybe somebody's going through something, it's really easy to say you love them, but it's really difficult to actually love them. It's really easy to say, oh, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you, but genuine love is not what you say. Genuine love is what you do. That we would not be a church that says one thing and does another. That we would not be the type of people who would come into the church and say, I love you, brother, love you, brother, love you, brother, love you, sister, praise God you're here, great day, God bless you, and then walk out the door and leave them in exactly the same place that they were when they walked in. That's not genuine love. Genuine love hates what is evil and it holds fast to what is good. That we would seek God's glory above all else, which means the good of others is something that we strive towards. Love is to be genuine. The next thing he says is that we are to love each other affectionately. Here's how he writes it here. Love one another with brotherly affection. God is our father. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said prayer like this, our Father, God is our Father, which means you and me and everyone who's professed faith in Jesus, whether you get along with them or not, guess what, they're your family. And that we're to love one another with the affection that we would love for a brother or sister or for our family. You know, when it comes to loving a family, do you know that you don't love them because of necessarily how great they are? Right? Do you know that when it comes to loving your family, you don't love them just because of what they can do for you? You don't love your family based upon their performance. You don't love your family based upon the clothes they wear. You don't love your family based upon their appearance. You love them because they're part of your family. And that's the same way that it comes to us as a church. I don't know if you know this or not, but people in redemption, we are different. Some of you, a little bit more different than others, but we are different. If God is our father, that means that we are a family. That when someone walks through the door, when someone gives their life to the Lord, when someone gets connected into a serve team or a group, whenever they're sitting next to you in the church, I want you to think that this is my brother or this is my sister and I'm gonna have the same affection for them as if I would for any other person in my family. What that means is this. That means we care about them. We care for them. That means that we make time for them. That means even when they're getting on our nerves, we still have dinner with them. <laughs> that means whenever other people talk about them, we stand up for them. Amen. Now, you might know that there's some things that your family does that you don't agree with, but you know what? If somebody else talks about my family, 
Me and my sister, we, we, we don't always see eye to eye, but I'm always stand up for her. And the same thing with the person who's sitting next to you in this chair. You might not know their name, but God knows their name. And God says, that's your brother. That's your sister. Take care of your family. We're to love one another with the affection of a family. It's a brotherly affection. And the next thing we see is that we are to love one another honorably. Outdo one another by showing Honor. This means that there is a preference and a deference to what another person is walking through. That every single person in this room, whether believer or non-believer, is created and made in the image and likeness of God. That they have, they have a dignity, they have equality, they have respect, whether they're men or women, old or young, whether they're black or white, rich or poor, whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they're Asian, Latino, whether they have a Mac or a PC, iPhone, Android, cargo shorts, skinny jeans. It doesn't matter. They are made in the image and likeness of God. And so that means that we are to outdo one another by giving them honor. See, how many times do you walk in church expecting someone else to honor you? How many times do we come into church and we expect something to be done for us, but how often are we looking at the needs of others and the place of others and going out of our way to be able to honor others? See, typically what happens in church life, and maybe you're new to church, praise the Lord for you. We won't have that problem here at Redemption because of you. But maybe you, you're, you're, you, you've been in church for a while, you might notice that there is a sinful precedent to where many people give preference to those who can give them something. Oh, you're rich? Come sit right up here. Oh, you tithe really good. Come sit over here. Oh, you got a fancy car. You got a great job. And we can begin to give partial preference to people who have something that they can give to us. The Bible says, wicked. That every person who walks through these doors in this church, VIP status, according to God. Every person who walks through this church matter to God. Every person who walks through the doors of this church They are to have a place of honor here. And that we are to go out of our way to be able to love them, even if they can't give us anything in return. We're to go out of our way to bless them, even though they can't bless us. We are to go out of our way to be able to show honor to them and not worry about us. He says, outdo one another by giving honor. I just dream of a day when, as a church, we would have a competition to see who could bless the most people. That would be an amazing day. To where when it comes to your serve team, you're going out of your way. Hey, I served seven people today. I served eight people today. In the debrief, it's like I learned 10 names. I got to get somebody coffee. I got to help somebody. I got to bless somebody. I got to outdo you when it came to showing honor for others. The only people who win are the people who honor. He says, if you want to love in a genuine way, then go out of your way to be able to honor others. 
The next thing we see is this, is that we are to love passionately. This is so interesting. He says, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent. Zeal and fervent basically mean the same thing. He's using a, a doublet in this situation. He's saying, do not be do not be lacking in your passion, but be passionate about your passion. Be passionate in the spirit. We should not be people who lack passion. He says, do not be slothful in your zeal. That means lazy. As a church, we should not be lazy people. We should be people who are passionate about what God is doing. Now, some of you, you come to redemption and you're like, man, this is a really passionate church. Those people always fired up. Yeah. Those people always fired up. And then some of you might be like, well, I'm just not really that passionate of a person. Can I just tell you something? If you're not passionate, something's wrong. See, these things right here, this is, these are commands. These are marks of genuine Christianity. This is what it means for you to follow Jesus and be a part of a church, is that you would be passionate, not slothful when it comes to your zeal, not saying, oh, well, you know, I just don't know if I feel like it today, and had a really busy week this week, and oh, still potty training, it's been a while. Oh, I'm going I'm to sleep in today, and I'm just not really feeling it. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And if you want to love the Lord and you want to be passionate about the Lord, then you need to be passionate about the things that he is passionate about. He says you be passionate in the spirit, that we are to be, we are to be on fire for Jesus, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led of the Holy Spirit. We're to be on fire with the Holy Spirit. This is the marks of a genuine love that we would have for one another. If you want to love your church, be passionate about the church. You should be passionate about the things that God is passionate about which means we need to prioritize our passion. Just think about it. What in your life are you passionate about? Say your favorite band comes out with a new album, you're passionate about it. Say your favorite football team kicks a dead pig across some goalposts, you're passionate about that. <laughs> Astros going to the World Series, one more game to clinch, you're going to be passionate about them getting the division, right? You're going to be passionate about what you are passionate about. But sadly, some people are more passionate about things that don't matter. This is an eternal significance that's taking place today. That we're passionate when it comes to loving others. We're passionate when it comes to blessing others. We're passionate when it comes to meeting the needs of others. That as a church, anytime the word's open, we should be passionate about it. As a church, anytime these doors are open, we should be passionate about it. As a church, when we get together for our community groups, we should be passionate about it. When we worship the Lord, we're to be passionate about it. When we're cleaning toilets, we're going to be passionate about it. When we're serving in kids, we're going to be passionate about it. You say, Byron, why is redemption so passionate? Oh, it's because, it's because we, we're fervent in our zeal. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for you to, to be a Christian and not to have passion. 
Some people think they're like, well, I'm just not one of those Bible-thumping, spirit-filled people who love Redemption Church like that, and I like to come in. Hey, if that's you, welcome. We love you, but something's wrong. How can you meet Jesus and not be excited about that? How can Jesus go to the cross, die for your sins, substitute himself, past erased, your future is guaranteed, filled with the Holy Spirit, sent on mission to change the world? How can that not get you fired up? We need to prioritize our our passion. We're to love our church passionately. The next thing he says is to be joyful. We love joyfully. Just one word right here, rejoice. That we are to be a joyful people. Now, joy is not dependent upon our circumstance. Happiness is. Now, sometimes here's where preachers would say, oh, okay, well, there's a difference between happiness and joy, which I'll give them that. But then they'll take it and they'll, they'll make it something like this. They'll say, oh, I don't want to be happy. I want to be joyful. Can I just say, <laughs> I do want to be happy. Like, we're going to take a vote. How many of you would like to be happy? Happy's good. Happy's good. Okay, but joy is better. See, happiness, it does depend on your happenstance. Okay, I like being happy. Okay, I really, really, really do. But joy is something that doesn't matter what happens, it can't be taken from you. That happiness is what happens to us, but joy is what God gives us. That nobody can take the joy that we have as Christians. That nobody can steal the joy that we have as Christians. That it's something guaranteed and deposited for you. That even when things might not be going right, we can still be people filled with joy because joy is what comes from the Lord. And so if your home got destroyed, you can still have joy. If you lost your car, you can still have joy. If you miss three days of work and you're trying to figure out how you're going to stretch a paycheck for another two weeks, you can still have joy. If you didn't feel like coming here today, you can still have joy. And if you don't have joy, you can come forward at the end and we're going to pray and he's going to give you some joy. We're to be a joyful people. I would love for people to say, when they come to redemption, they just think, man, those people are, those people are really joyful. Have you ever met one of those redemption people? They're always smiling. They're always laughing. Man, those are some joyful people. I would love for people to say that. The next thing we see is that we're to be hopeful. He says, to rejoice in what? Hope. Now here, hope, it doesn't mean, oh, I hope I get the job. It's not, I hope FEMA pays out. It's not, oh, I hope she says yes. It's not, oh, I hope that the carpet isn't mildewed. (laughs) The hope here is not found in earthly situations. The hope that Paul is writing about is that our hope is in heaven. That our hope is something greater. Our hope is something more. Our hope is not found in anything in this world. Our hope is found in the world that is to come. That when we think about our joy and we think about where we're placing our significance, it's not on the circumstance. It's not on the situation. It's not on anything that is earthly, but rather our hope is found in heaven. That when we get to heaven, it's all going to make sense. When we get to heaven, everything's going to be repaid. When we get to heaven, everything is going to be restored. 
when we get to heaven, all of our rewards will be given to us. Our hope is found in heaven. So we rejoice that our hope is in heaven. And nobody can take that away from us. No storm. No unpreparedness. No flood. Nothing can take away what God has assured us through the salvation of his son in heaven. Which leads to be patient. He says to be patient in tribulation. That, that word tribulation is important. It comes from the word tribulum, which in the Greek, it would actually, it's how they would crush corn. So they would bring all the baskets in and they would put it in the tribulum and then they would grind and they would smash and they would crush the corn and the wheat. And then he says this, he says, be patient in tribulation. Many of us in our lives, we're going to go through times where we're going to be crushed. But he says that we need to be patient in that. Why would he say be patient in the midst of tribulation? Why? Because we rejoice in a hope that is in heaven. And even in this world, there may be tribulation. But here's why this is so important. We need to remain patient and keep focused on what's coming. Because if God, if it is not good, then God is not finished yet. If you're in a situation in your life where it's not good, God's not done. If you're in a place right now where you're looking out and you're saying, how is this going to work? How is this going to happen? It's not looking good. Then you just look up because you remember God's not done yet. Be patient in the midst of that tribulation. We all go through trials. We all go through tribulations. We all go through circumstances and seasons in our life where we feel as if we are crushed. But he says to be patient in that because God's not done working in your life. Let me give you just a couple of things about those of us who are walking through tribulations. The first thing I'd encourage you with this is don't be shocked. Some people are shocked when tribulation comes. They're like, really? Seriously? I didn't know this was going to happen. Okay, well, you didn't read your Bible. He told you it was going to happen. <laughs> don't be shocked when you go through this. People are like, well, I became a Christian. That pastor guy he, on TV, he told me that everything was going to be okay. He lied. <laughs> he lied. Jesus didn't even say that. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. Okay, it's going to happen. We live in a broken and fallen world. We're all going to go through trials, and we're all going to go through tribulations. The difference is this. With Jesus, you don't go through them alone. And if we were to be a church that loves the way that a church is supposed to love, ain't nobody in this room supposed to go through it alone. The second thing is this, is remember what Jesus did. If anyone showed us what it means to go through tribulations, it would be Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus himself would be a perfect man and live a perfect life, a sinless life, love, help, serve, bless, grace, every person that he meets, and yet he was still betrayed, mocked, murdered, crucified, and he goes to that cross, and he suffers in ways that no one has ever suffered before, so that way when we go through our sufferings, we don't have to go through them alone. Remember what Jesus has done. And then I'm just thinking into our series in Mark. He says, no servant is greater than the master. And so if Jesus has to suffer, then in this life, you and me, we will go through our tribulations, which leads to number three. Let it teach you. I was talking with a young woman in our church who went through the storm. And here, here's what she said. She said, I haven't asked God why once. 
But I have been asking God, what do you want me to learn? See, oftentimes when we go through tribulations, we ask, God, why would you do this? Instead, we should ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to learn through this? See, asking why questions, man, until you get to heaven, you're probably not going to know. It's the wrong question. The question is not, God, why? The question is, God, what? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? How can you get glory out of this? When you go through that, you need to be patient because God's not done with you. God's still working on you. God's still working in you and through you. And so if you're going through a time of tribulation, he says that we are to love patiently, which leads to number eight. We are to love, we are to love prayerfully. He says, be constant in your prayers. Right now, many of you, you're probably seeing an increase in your prayer life. But that's the way it should be. Hopefully, moments like these teach us what authentic Christianity looks like. I mean, it's sad that it takes a tragedy to be able to show us what true love looks like. But sometimes, God will teach us through those things. You know, as you're praying on Thursday, you can do that tomorrow. You know, as you're praying for needs for people in the church on Friday, you know what? You could do that on Tuesday, too. The way that you prayed in the midst of the storm is the way that we should pray when he gets us through the storm. You know, I find it so interesting that when things go bad or when things are difficult, that that's when we run to God and that's when we pray and that's when we pour our hearts out to him and that's whenever we depend on him. But you know what? He doesn't say pray when things are bad. He says pray constantly, pray continuously, pray every single day. And when you pray, you don't give up when you pray says constantly. You wouldn't just say, okay, God, I'm praying for this. Thank you, Lord. And then you pray, and then you walk away. Well, I'm going to go over here and do my own thing, and God is going to do his own thing, and then I'm going to live over here, and God lives over here. That's the way many of us, we pray. Paul says, don't pray like that. When it comes to loving prayerfully, you pray every single day for your church. You pray for the needs of your church. You pray for the people in your church. You pray for the opportunities in your church. You pray to be a blessing in your church. And you don't pray and walk away. No, you keep praying, and you keep praying, and you keep praying, and you keep praying constantly, continually. We need to be a people of prayer. One of my favorite quotes is, the shortest distance between two people is their prayers. If you want to love your church, you need to be praying for your church. Every single morning, be praying for your church. Whenever me and Ashley, whenever we have dinner or we have lunch and we're sitting around the table as a family, we pray for you guys every single time. Little Esther, she bows her head and she says, I want to pray for our church. We pray for you. But you're to have that same attitude and heart for others in our church. You know, as a pastor, I'm not more important than you. God doesn't listen to my daughter's prayers more than he listens to your children's prayers. I'm not better than you. I'm on the same level. The only reason why I'm not down there is because they built this stage three feet high. I'm on the same level as you. God doesn't honor my prayers more than he honors yours. I don't have a red line to heaven. God's not like, oh, baby Esther, saying her prayers, she gets double blessings. <laughs> Brandon's kids, not so much. 
No. He loves us all. He wants to hear your prayers, too. We're to be people who are in constant prayer. If you want to love your church, one of the best ways you can love your church is to pray for your church. The next thing is that we are to love generously. He says this. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to take up one big offering. 100% of the offerings that we give today is going to go directly to the 12 families in our congregation who have been affected by Tropical Storm Imelda. And that we are to be generous towards these people. And you know, some of them rent, some of them have insurance, some of them it's their car. But a lot of it is just the inconvenience of it all. I know most people, they live paycheck to paycheck. And most people are $500 away from poverty. And we often wait for the government to do way more than what the church is supposed to do. The church has abdicated their responsibility to the governments. We've trusted in programs to be able to provide whenever God has called us together as a people. And this is an opportunity for us to be able just to be a blessing, to let them know, hey, we're here for you, and we care about you, and we see the need, and we're going to meet that need, and we're going to be there for you, and we're going to bless you, and we're going to help you even when you're in this place that you're in. You know, just think about it. We have one woman in our church. She's a single mom. As her home flooded, she has a teenage daughter who lost everything. We have another person in our church who can't get to work because now their car's totaled. We have people on our serve team who got rides to church today because they lost everything, but they knew they had to be at the house of the Lord, and they wanted to come to church because they love their church, and here they are. Serving their church. They love their church, and we love them. And this is a time for us to be generous to them. I know that whenever I checked my phone and I was scrolling through and I'm flooded in at my house and I can't get out, I felt so helpless. And I just thought, God, if there was something that I could do, and in that moment, I couldn't get out of the house. And then Saturdays, I'm seeing everybody demoing, and we're up here serving at the church. And people are like, yeah, we need a contractor. I'm like, I can't do that either. <laughs> but you know what I can do? I can't give. I can give. My pastor Donnie, he always said this. He said, he said, who gets the most glory or credit when they get to heaven? There's two people. One person is down there serving, mucking out homes. The other person never goes down to a person's house, but yet they give $100 a week. Who gets the most credit? Now, me being a young punk kid, I was like, it's the person down there doing all the work. That person just rich. They need to get off their butt and do something about it. But how are we going to be able to clean out a home if nobody will be able to provide for it? There is no difference between the one who serves and the one who gives. And right now as a church, we're in a position to where we can give. We can go above and beyond our offerings. We can go above and beyond our tithes. We can see the need. We can meet the need. And we can love not just in words, but we can love in deed. We can love people with our finances. He says, he says to contribute to the needs of the saints, which leads us to the last thing, is that we're to love one another relationally. He says, he says, seek to show hospitality. 
This means that we welcome other people in. That we would see another person and we would see them where they're at. We would see them and we would seek to be able to to be in relationship with them. That we would love them in the way that they are welcomed, they are accepted. We would love them in a way that we would go out of our way to be able to let them know that they are cared for. That we seek to show this in our forms of hospitality. You know, in that day, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have restaurants. What they had was homes. And, and people would cook meals for others, and they would welcome them into their house to come stay with them, and they would consider it a blessing and an honor to be a hospital towards them. They would actually invite them in, and they would be in relationship with them. This is the way that a church should be. If you want to love your church, then we love one another relationally. And right now is an opportunity for us to be able to do that. You know, I know that many people may not agree with everything that we do as a church, and that's okay. I know many people, they may not understand everything that we do as a church, and that's okay. I know many people look at our church and they think, oh, well, you know, those guys, they, 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 they teach the Bible and, you know, they're spirit-filled and they're a conservative evangelical church and they have their doctrine, they have their theology and, you know, they look at them like they're so different than the rest of the world and they're so different than everybody else and they, they live their lives in this way and I don't agree with them and I don't, I don't understand them, but you know what? People may disagree with their doctrine but they should never be able to deny our love. That the way that we love others is to be a reflection of the way that Christ has loved us. Jesus tells his disciples, and the world will know that you are mine because of your bumper stickers. Because of that sweet redemption merch. The world will know you are my disciples by the book that you read at Barnes & Noble. No, he says, the world will know that you are my church because the love that you have for one another, because our love is indicative of his love. And if we think all of this is really just a reflection of Jesus, because if you go back and you look that Jesus loves us genuinely, that he doesn't half-heart our salvation. He gave his entire life just for us. Jesus loves us affectionately, that he will never give up on us, never walk out on us. He will never turn away from us, that he is always towards us and always right there for us, that he is the affection for us. He loves us honorably, that he went out of his way from heaven to earth to come to seek and to save and to serve all of us who are in need and we had nothing that we could give to him. We have nothing that we could do for him. There was nothing that we deserved in him and yet he showed us honor in giving his life for our sins in our place. Jesus, he was passionate about this, that his whole life, teaching, preaching, loving, helping, serving, healing, blessing everyone that he came across. Not a day went by that Jesus wasn't passionate about people. Not a day went by that Jesus wasn't passionate about meeting the needs of people. Not a day went by that Jesus just phoned it in and sat on the couch and just said, I don't want to go today. No, Jesus went every single day because he was passionate about the things of the Lord. 
Jesus was joyful. Luke 9 says he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Children actually wanted to be around him. Jesus was joyful. Jesus was hopeful that he sees the, the heartache. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pain. And he believes the best even in the midst of it. Jesus was hopeful for us. He was patient with us. When we sin, he's right there. When we fail, he doesn't give up. When we're going through pain, he's right there with us the entire time. He's patient with us in our tribulation. He is prayerful with us. Right now, if you close your eyes and you look up to heaven and you want to know where's Jesus at in the midst of this? What is Jesus doing in the midst of this? I've lost everything. Where's Jesus at in the midst of this? If you want to look up and you want to see and you want to imagine where's Jesus, the author of 1 Timothy says that he is right there standing at the right hand of the Father interceding on behalf of the saints. Jesus is praying for you. He's generous towards us. He gives us grace. He gives us hope. He gives us mercy. He gives us peace. He gives us salvation. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the church. He gives us the family. He gives us each other. Oh, he is so generous. And he's relational. What he really wants is relationship. That you would come to know him and be with him that you would come to see him and that he would be able to save you so that way he can be in relationship with you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. We want you to know the love of Jesus. We're gonna show you the love of the church in just a moment, but first I want you to know the love of Jesus. I want you to know that in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. In Christ, you can have hope. In Christ, there is joy. In Christ, there is grace, and in Christ, there is love. If you want to know what love really is, just look to Jesus. No greater love is there than one who would give his life for his friends. If you want to know what love is, look to Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, if we want to know what love is and how to love our church, we should love our church the way that Jesus loves his church. Many of us do just like I did for many years. We come to church, we sing a few songs, Say hi to people in the lobby. But today's a day that we need to let our love be genuine. I hope that today is a day that we look back on and we get to say the same way I did all those years ago, that this was the day that I decided that church ain't about me, it's about the person next to me. That church ain't about me, it's about the people who have not yet walked through these doors. That church ain't about me, it's about the body. That church ain't about me, it's about him getting glory and me doing the most good in the midst of it. And that we would be a people who love our church. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. 